You're listening to Shalise's Podcast. Father, I thank you for part two of this series, Beyond Sin Consciousness. And I thank you, Father, that this is a message that is on your heart. I thank you that you have revelation that you want to share with every listener today. And I thank you, Father, that their hearts are ready to receive it. I thank you that the eyes of their understanding are enlightened and they know the hope of their calling. And Father, I thank you that you are going to use this teaching to set them free from sin consciousness, that you are going to use this teaching, Father, to uh, help them understand the power of the Holy Spirit to renew their minds and lead and guide them into all truth and to overcome, to overcome the world to, that, that Jesus has already overcome, to overcome the things that contradict uh, our true identity in Christ. I thank you, Father, that this is going to be a strategic word for people, Father, that there are things that people are going through right now in their lives and they need this revelation. And so I just yield. I yield my mind. I yield my body. I yield my words to you. Holy Spirit, speak through me today. Uh, and use this message, Father, uh, to produce fruit, 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 fruit in our lives. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the one that's going to be sharing and teaching them today. Thank you that you're going to be connecting the dots and and putting the, the pieces of the puzzle together in their hearts and their minds, Father, so that they can grab it and they can apply it right away. So we just give you all the glory for it. We give you all the praise for it, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Well, awesome, you guys. We are in part two of Beyond Sin Consciousness, and I'm really excited about today's topic. Uh, I don't know if it's a a revelation that you've ever heard before or if this is going to be brand new information, but I just encourage you to buckle up because I think it is going to really bless you and renew your mind and bring you into a true understanding of this this word sin (laughs) and this struggle against it that so many people uh, have in their lives, including us, right? And we are going to, uh, I really believe, empower you to stand against the works of the enemy and against the works of the flesh as we dive into today's topic. So uh, we are going to jump off today with a familiar scripture. I want to kick off today's broadcast with giving you a really good understanding of this word sin. If we are going to move beyond sin consciousness, then we probably need to understand what exactly are we talking about? What exactly are we dealing with? You know, in the first episode, I talked about, you know, that righteousness consciousness is the alternative to sin consciousness. And what I meant by that is that there are really only two natures that we can, that we can identify with. We can identify with the sin nature, or we can identify with the nature of God, which is righteousness. And because of Jesus, right, we uh, that sin nature has been crucified, that we are no longer sinners. We are saints. We are sons, right? We are heirs. We are the bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We have a brand new identity in Christ. We are completely co-identified with Jesus. You know, I say the scripture all the time, but as Jesus is, so are we in this world, meaning that Jesus is the mirror image of ourselves. But many of us really struggle to live out of that new identity. We struggle with sin consciousness. We struggle with sin in our lives. We struggle with this idea that, okay, Shalise, I'm a new creation, but why am I not acting like it? And what is, what am I missing here? Like, why, why am I still struggling against sin? Why am I still dealing with this? And so I kind of want to dive deep today into maybe a new definition of sin. And I'm going to invite you guys to do your own study of this. 
and to really start to view scriptures and the word sin through a new lens. Okay, I want to start with a scripture that I also reference quite a bit, but I want to take the time to read it today. It's in John uh, chapter one, and it's in verse 29. Okay, and this is uh, the, it's about the, the John the Baptist and uh, an encounter that he had when he saw Jesus. It's a, it's a statement that he said when he saw Jesus. So in verse 29, it says this, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it says, this is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Okay, he came, he was born after John, but he existed before John because he existed in the beginning of this chapter, right? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, meaning Jesus is the word of God. The word became flesh and the word had existed since the very beginning. But what I want to hone in here is that John says this, look, here's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I can tell you that I have misquoted this scripture many times. I bet if you've said this scripture, you've misquoted it. I bet you've heard it misquoted a lot of times because a lot of times when we read the scripture, we think of this scripture, we think, okay, Jesus took away our sins, that Jesus took away the sins of the world. Now, now I also tell you that that, that is a very unfortunately controversial statement. The idea that Jesus removed even the sins of the whole world. Well, you know, he forgave the sins of the whole world. Like maybe we can stretch it there. But the idea that Jesus took what I'm going to call the entity of sin out of the world is something that really is offensive to the religious spirit. It is offensive to think that Jesus has once and all dealt with sin on the cross. It, why do we, why are we offended by that? Because we see sin everywhere. We see people committing sins. We commit sins. We think, well, you know, God, Jesus didn't take sin out of the world. Look, you can look around and you can see sin. But I want to back up for a moment this morning and talk about this word that is translated in English as sin. Now, Every translation that I checked, and I didn't check all of them by any means, but I was I was thinking that maybe the translators mistranslated the scripture and that it said, behold, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. I thought, where did I pick that up? The sins of the world. But honestly, I went and did the research today. I'm reading out of the NIV, but if you look at the King James, if you look at the Amplified, they all say the singular word sin. So it's not plural sins. It's the word sin. And that word sin is a Greek word that is, sorry, my dog is barking. I don't know why, but who knows? Someone's probably walking by. So he's saying, good morning. Good morning, everyone. I don't even know if you can hear that. But regardless, he's he's talking about this Greek word, uh, uh, and I, I usually butcher it, but um, H-A, let me just spell it, <clears throat> H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A, harmatia, I think is how you say it. But the Greek word harmatia, okay, is not a definition of sin, which we have typically heard, right? Most of us have heard the definition of sin means to miss the mark. But that is not what the Greek word harmatia, or uh, however you say it, it's not what that word means, okay? I want to go to another scripture, and I'm actually going to go in the mirror translation here, and I encourage you to, if you don't have the Mirror Bible, you know, to download the app on your phone and there's a little search function. And I encourage you to actually search on that word, harmatia, H-A-R-M, let me spell it right, H-A, 
M, sorry, I'm spelling it wrong. H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. Hamatia, Hamatia, Hamatia. So however you say it, okay? But because Francois does a wonderful job in his translation of really drilling down into this concept of what sin really is. So I'm going to read a scripture from Ephesians 2 verse 1 that also has that word harmatia in it. And he did not he did not translate it in his translation as the word sin. Okay? Then he gives a little definition of the word harmatia and he does a compare and a contrast between that word and the word metamorpho. And so I just want to read this to you. There's a couple of sources that I want to read to you today that are going to give you a better definition of the word sin. So the scripture says this, picture where God found us. We were in a death trap of an inferior lifestyle, constantly living below the blueprint measure of our lives. Okay, so that is, if you go read that in the NIV or you go read another scripture, that's not what it's going to say. Uh, but I'm going to just go with this for a moment because translations are really, really important. And there are many mistranslations in our English versions of the Bible. When I say mistranslations, meaning the translators had to pick between multiple meanings of a word and their theology got overlaid in the word that they picked. I know that that is shocking to us. I know that it, for me, it's been very frustrating to realize that theology has been written into our, our Bible translations because what it means is that we have to become students of the Bible. We need to become uh, like a Berean, right? And not just believe something because we've heard it, but we need to study to show ourselves approved. And we need to actually learn how to like do a little bit of uh, you know research on Greek and Hebrew words. We need to understand that most Greek words are compound words. And this word homo, hom Matia is a Greek compound word, okay? It's made up of two, two uh, syllables or two words. Uh, and the word sin is the word harmatia, harmatia. I'm sorry that I keep butchering that. I'm cracking myself up. But it's from two words. The first one is ha, okay, H-A. And it means negative or without, okay? So it means to not, negative or without. And then the second part of that word is from the word meros, M-E-R-O-S. So that word hamartia is a compound of two Greek words, ha and meros, okay? And what it means is it meros, that second part, means portion or form. So negative portion, negative form, without portion, without form. So what it's saying is that it is to be without your allotted portion or to be without form, okay? What its meaning is, is that you had a distorted form. You were without form. Sin is a distortion of form, okay? It is a disoriented, distorted, bankrupt identity, okay? Now, this word sin, this without form, this distorted form, this distorted identity, which has become the English word sin, okay, was something that happened all the way back at the garden, okay? Because of the disobedience of one man, sin, harmatia, harmatia entered the world, okay? Adam is the, uh, the one to blame, I guess you could say, for the fact that humanity has a, uh, it has inherited this world system now that is operating in a distorted form. And so what Jesus came to do is to restore our form. Okay. He came to give us his form. He came to, uh, he became 
the distorted form on the cross and and, ex- and he exchanged that distorted form with his original design, with the, the design of how we were originally intended to be formed uh, by God. Okay, so let me just go another place. Well, before I do that, let me talk about the opposite of the word harmatia. Okay, and the opposite of the word is, uh, let me go here is the word, well, it's in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Maybe we'll go there. And you've heard this word probably before. It's metamorphe. Okay, so metamorphu, metamorphe. These are these are scriptures that are usually, uh, this is a word that's usually translated like transformation or transfigured. You know, in Romans 12.2, it says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, be metamorphu. Be met, and, and in 2 Corinthians 3.18, the word is metamorphe. Okay, and what it's this word is also a compound word. And so the first part of this word is meta, okay, which is the opposite of ha. So ha means negative or without, and meta means with, with form. Okay, metamorphu means with form. So it's the opposite of harmartia, without form. So if we go over to 2 Corinthians 3.18, let me just go over there so we can put that into context here. Context here, and I'm just going to continue reading out of the mirror for right now because I'm here. Uh, it says this, and I love this translation. It says, "Now we all, with new understanding, see ourselves in Him, as in a mirror." Okay, so we are we are seeing ourselves with a new form, as in a mirror. It's why Francois calls this the mirror translation. Right, because there's been a there's been a transformation of our form. And it says the days of window shopping are over, and every face is unveiled. Every face is unveiled, in gazing with wonder at the likeness of Elohim displayed in human form, which we know that's Jesus, we suddenly realize that we are looking in a mirror where every feature of their image articulated in the Lord is reflected within us. The Spirit of the Lord, okay, the Holy Spirit, engineers this radical transformation. We are led from an inferior mindset, from a from a sin consciousness, from an inferior mindset, from a sin-based identity, okay, to the revealed endorsement of our authentic identity. What is our authentic identity? Our authentic identity is Jesus. Our authentic identity is revealed in our union with Jesus. And it says from the fading glory of our own achievement to the discovery of the most amazing reality that we are God's glory. Okay, so this scripture, again, it's a the mere translation. It's maybe not the familiar one that you've read, but I want you to begin to get familiar with other translations of the scriptures because these Greek words are really, really important. So when we go back to John 1, 29, and it says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, what we're actually, what that verse is actually saying is it's saying, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the distorted form, the formlessness, the, the, the distortion that we inherited from Adam. And I want to encourage you to really start to go through the scripture. And every time you see the word sin, Stop thinking of it as like missing the mark or start, stop thinking of it as about breaking the law, right? The law, whether that's Moses' law, whether it's the moral code, whatever, whatever the standard of perfection is that we're breaking, that we're missing the mark of. And I want you to go deeper. I want you to go to the root of what the scripture is actually saying. You know, I did, I wanted to read the Holy Spirit. I felt like really highlighted a scripture to me about this. 
And it's in Hebrews chapter 11. And I believe that it really gives us a much deeper picture of Jesus and what he struggled against as a human being. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 12 in the NIV, okay, it says this. It says, verse four, in your struggle against sin. Okay, like just stop with that. In your struggle against sin. Most of the times we're going to read that and we're going to think, in our struggle to not break the law, in our struggle to not do acts that are sinful. Like we're just going to think automatically that this is about the things that we do that we have learned and it's been programmed into us that that's what sin is. But really it's saying in your struggle against a distorted identity, in your struggle against uh, being without form, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Okay, Jesus resisted sin resisted a distorted identity. He lived out of the image of the father perfectly in his life. And he did so to the point of shedding blood. It says here, and you have, have you, um, um, well, that's where I wanted to go. Let's, uh, let me go to verse three. He says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Did you, in your struggle against sin, Have you yet, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. So that is just an example of when you, when you stop thinking of sin as deeds and you start thinking of sin as an entity that infected the human race, this distorted form that infected the offsprings of Adam, then you start to read the scriptures in a totally different light. Now, I want to take you to another place here, and I want to go to Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, which I think I might have already been there, but let's go there again. I want to see if there's anything else I want to say about that. Uh, not Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, okay? Um, so, and, and this is just the, the NIV translation, and then I'm going to go back over to the mirror translation. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgression transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Okay. So that it's just so easy when you read this scripture to think that, that, that he's talking about the work that Jesus did was just the forgiveness of transgressions. It was the forgiveness of sins rather than the complete undoing of Adam And the crucifixion of this entity of sin, of this distorted form for the entire world, which is what John 129 is referring to. So let me go back uh, over in the mirror translation and read that again. I want to make it really clear today in Ephesians uh, 2.1. Okay, this is the way it translates it. Picture where God found us. We were in a death trap of an inferior lifestyle, constantly living below the blueprint measure of our lives, okay? So he's really bringing out the true definition of this word sin. What was translated in the NIV as sins and transgression is really this word harmatia, okay? In verse two, it says here, we were all part of a common pattern, swept along under a powerful, invisible influence, a spirit energy that adopted us as sons to its dictates through unbelief. Okay, so these two translations, why am I reading them? Because it makes a very, very big difference in the meaning, in the meaning of of these verses. 
And if we are going to move beyond sin consciousness, it's more than moving beyond the consciousness of sins, quote unquote, in our lives. Yes, it includes that. Okay. It includes that we are not to be conscious or to be focused or to stay just aware of what we're doing wrong in our lives. We are to be aware of the cross. We are to be aware of our righteousness in Jesus. We are to be aware of our mirror image in Jesus. We are to be aware of our new identity in Christ. We are to be righteousness consciousness, right? We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, meaning that we don't have a mind that is set on sin. We have a mind that is set on our holiness through Christ. Because here's the thing, sin is the fruit of a distorted identity. The the act of sin, the act sins, the transactional sins that we commit are the fruit of a wrong identity. How do we know that? It's because they were the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was the fruit of an identity that perceived itself separate from God. It it, it put Adam in the place of judge, the judge of right and wrong. It put Adam in the place of playing God in the area of his perception. And, And this separation seeped into the planet through this this act of disobedience, this original sin that we talk about that is the act of disobedience of Adam. Now, I want to just read a few more places today because this is really important. Uh, I, I really feel like that we have such a wrong relationship with sin in the body of Christ. And I believe that we are so sin focused. I think sin intimidates us. I think sin seems way more powerful than Jesus. I think that we we are playing judge on people's sins rather than seeing the entire human race through the mirror of Jesus Christ and recognizing that just because people don't know that they're not a sinner, okay? Uh, I mean, they just don't, we don't know. We don't, we don't, we, we, I mean, Heck, the body of Christ, for the most part, doesn't know this information. And, and of course, because we don't know this information, we are operating out of a false identity. And so therefore, we have the problem of sins in the world. But the, the antidote is not to, in your own strength, out of an independent identity, become sin conscious and try to stop sinning. I mean, we know what happens when you do that because the strength of sin is the law. Meaning the more that you focus on, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Well, you're still conscious of it. I shouldn't be doing this. I should be doing this. Da, 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 da. Well, it's, it's a consciousness that is the, is, is a legalistic focus rather than a consciousness of Christ, Christ in us, Christ with us, and this new identity whereby we are, we have been made righteous. Okay, let me go over to 2 Corinthians 5.21. I mean, I, the Holy Spirit has used this scripture so powerfully in my life because I was so sin conscious that I ultimately developed depression and anxiety and ultimately it led to, you know, struggles with my mental health. I mean, this is what the fruit of a distorted identity will do. It makes you nuts. Okay, it makes you nuts in your head. And there is a division that happens internally because we have this like moral compass and we start to to judge ourselves, start to condemn ourselves. Heck, half the time the accuser doesn't have to get involved because we're so busy accusing ourselves, 
right? But this identity will literally make you sick. It will make you sick in your body. It will make you sick in your mind. Why? Because what is the wages of sin? What is the wages? What is the payment of this distorted form? Well, death is the result of this distorted form and death is an, an enemy of God. In fact, it is it, Jesus defeated death on the cross. We are not to have a relationship with death. We're to have a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with life. And out of the uh, relationship, this new identity that we have, this union with God, right? Our bodies are being more, our mortal bodies are being quickened. The resurrection was the defeat of uh, Harmatia. It was the defeat of Harmatia, however you say it. It was the defeat of that entity of sin. So let me go over here. And it was this exchange. We exchanged that distortion for uh, our original design for the original blueprint of what a human being was and is, which is what Jesus represented and demonstrated in his earthly life. Okay, so let's go over to 2 Corinthians 5.21. And I'm going to read this. I'm going to read it first of all. Let me go over here. I'm going to read it in just the NIV. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Because this is also, as I recall, it's an accurate translation as far as it's not plural. But it says this in verse 21, it says, God made him, talking about Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so now when you think about this definition of without form, you can read it this way. God made him who had no without form, okay? Jesus did not did not identify without form. He didn't identify with sin. If you saw him, you saw the Father. He had the original blueprint of humanity. And he, he who was in the original blueprint, okay, became a distorted form for us. He was he was distorted on the cross for us. He became, or he was, that, that, that was absorbed into his body. He became the curse. So he took on that distort, distorted form on the cross for us so that in him, through our union with him, we might become the righteousness of God. And so because of his resurrection and the defeat over that distorted form, that formlessness, the resurrection is the receipt. It's the proof of our redeemed identity. And those are exact some of the words that, that uh, Francois actually says. I was reading this. I don't even remember. Okay. Hebrews 6.16 in the mirror translation. I wrote this down in my notes and I'm just going to read it from my notes here. It says this, a mind shift from attempts to impress God by your behavior to realizing the faithfulness of God is fundamental. Okay. So he's talking about this mind shift from getting off a legalistic behavior, sin focused, frankly, uh, mindset, getting away from that mindset where you're trying to attempt to please God. In fact, you're trying to attempt to love yourself and accept yourself by good behavior. Okay. It says to realizing the faithfulness of God, meaning that Jesus did this. This is fundamental. This is a fundamental revelation, you guys. It says there is no life left in the old system. What was the old system? It was the old system that dealt with the entity of no form through a sacrificial system. 
So remembrance of sins were made every year because the sacrifices couldn't deal with the distorted form. And it says there is no life left in the old system. It is dead and gone. The old system is dead. Jesus abolished, he fulfilled the old system. It says you have to move on. Okay, we have to move beyond the awareness and the focus on sin. We don't even have the right definition of it, number one. We think it means miss the mark rather than a distorted form. But we need to move beyond both. We need to move beyond the focus of missing the mark, which is a legalistic approach. And we need to move beyond focusing on our distorted identity. We've got to move beyond sin consciousness. And it says all of the Jewish teachings about ceremonial washings, baptism, the laying on of hands, okay? And what they used to do is they would lay hands on the slain animal because it was a scapegoat and they would, you know, it, it, they would there would be this transfer, you know, that wasn't forever, but it would transfer the sins of the people into the scapegoat, into the sacrifice, okay? It says, in all of the teachings pertaining to a sin consciousness, okay? This is Hebrews 6.16, the mere translation. It says, including the final resurrection of the dead in order to face judgment, are no longer relevant. I'm not even going to go into, you know, Jesus taking all of the judgment against sin. I'm not even going to talk about today. I just don't have the, the time. This is beyond the scope of this. But let me tell you, the ramifications when you grab this affect every doctrine that you have been taught. Okay, it, it affects the doctrines you've been taught about the future. It talks about that it, it affects the way that you deal with uh, sickness. It, it, it affects the way that you deal with death. It affects it all. Anyway, it says all of these types and shadows were concluded and fulfilled in Christ, their living substance. His resurrection, Jesus's resurrection, bears testimony to the judgment that he faced on mankind's behalf and the freedom from the obstructive consciousness of sin that he now proclaims. So freedom, the resurrection <laughs> is the testimony that bears witness to the freedom that we have from this obstructive, from this blocking sin consciousness. The resurrection is the proof. It says, Jesus said, when I am lifted up on the cross, this is from John 12, 33, I will draw all judgment to me. Okay, again, that's a completely different translation than if you go read John 12, 33 in most of our modern translations. It's going to say, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to me. It doesn't say judgment, it says men. So you need to do the word study. Okay, why did Francois use this word judgment instead of men? Like these are interesting things to start to unpack. But here's the point. And uh, the resurrections, here's just some th thoughts that I wrote down here that I, I'm not even sure where I got all of these, but it says his resurrection is evidence of our righteousness. The resurrection is the proof that death, which was the wages of sin, which was the wages of the distorted form, was defeated. The, def the, the distorted form has been recreated. We are now a new creation in this new form. It says, it is most wonderful, I wrote these things down, it is most wonderful to discover that his resurrection does not only include us, only once we believe, okay? Wow, okay? You are not included in the resurrection just because you heard about it and you believed in it. Okay, you were included in the resurrection because it was the undoing of Adam and just the way every person was included in the consequences 
of Adam's disobedience, every human being is included in the consequences of Jesus' obedience. It was the undoing. Jesus was the last Adam. And it was the undoing of the distorted form. And I love what I wrote here. It says, if something is not true to begin with, it's not true because you believe it. Okay, your belief in something doesn't make it true. Now, it absolutely will make it true for you, meaning it will make it your experience. Okay, if you believe a lie, you will experience a lie. You will manifest that lie. In fact, there's such a thing as a manifested lie. Sickness, in fact, is a manifested lie. Lack, in fact, is a manifested lie. These are lies that come out of our distorted form. Okay, but just because you believe the gospel doesn't make the gospel true. It was true in order for you to believe it. And so this is true. The whole world, this is true of the whole world. Why is this important? Because it changes the way that we look at other people. When Jesus said, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. Okay, visit the orphan, visit the prisoners, visit the sinners. And when you visit them, you do it to me. Why? Because Jesus associated himself with the entire human race. We are now co-included in his, res- in his, I'm sorry, in his crucifixion. We were co-included in his burial. We were co-included in his resurrection and we are co-included in his ascension. It was one sacrifice for all. Okay. There isn't a, a repeating of sacrifices. That's really the point when, you know, when Hebrew starts to go into this, that it's not a repeating of sacrifices over and over and over again for you know, individual sins. No, it was one sacrifice that dealt with the distorted form. So here's the equation. The cross equaled the death of the distorted form. And the resurrection equals the the creation of the new creation in our, in our restored identity, and our redeemed identity, it's our redeemed innocence. It is the, the resurrection of innocence in the planet. It is the resurrection of righteousness in human form, in our form, as because why? We are in Christ. Now, not everybody knows this. Not everybody believes this. Not everybody's experiencing this. Heck, I'll say it again. People that confess Jesus as Lord are not experiencing this. How many believers do you know uh, are still struggling with sin as though they didn't know Jesus? Okay, so this is not something that happens automatically just because we know that Jesus died on the cross. No, there is a transformation that happens when we renew our minds to who we are in Christ. There is a transformation that happens when we actually understand the gospel. The gospel is the proclamation, the proclamation of a new creation. It is the proclamation of a new restored cosmos that is now reconciled to God. God was in Christ reconciling the world, reconciling the cosmos to himself. And now we've been given the rec- the ministry of reconciliation. I mean, we are here to announce the victory of Jesus over sin and over death. We are here to announce that Jesus has restored what was lost. We were the lost coin. We always belonged to God. We always, we were lost, but we were God's possession. We were, our origin was always in God and Adam messed it up. And now there's this redemption of what Adam lost, the the redemption of what what Adam did. And remember, Adam, God had to give Adam free will. 
if there if Adam had not been free to choose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then there would have been no place that there, there could not have been the existence of love. Because love does not seek its own way. Love is free from control, right? God is about self-control, not about other control. And so this place of freedom it was necessary. And it was Jesus becoming a human being and putting on human flesh Flesh that gave him the authority to condemn it in the flesh, to condemn it in the human body, to, to bury it once and for all in the human body. So his resurrection is the receipt. It's the receipt of our acquittal. It's not just the acquittal from sins. It's the, it's the not guilty verdict of everything that was the fruit of our distorted form. Okay. It says that uh, his resurrection is the proof of our redeemed righteousness. His resurrection reveals our righteousness. And this is, I wrote this last statement down. It says, if mankind is still guilty after the resurrection, then the resurrection is irrelevant. There's no reason for it to have happened. Now, this may be a message that you have never, ever heard before. Okay. Um, and I understand you may need to go study, I encourage you, in fact, to go study this out for yourself and, and to really get a handle on this word, uh, harmatia, and to get a handle on the opposite of it, okay? Now, I'm going to read one other thing that I uh, am going to wrap with this today because this is all I have time for, but I want to read this. This isn't a book that the tribe, okay, my Emerge graduates, uh, I've been having them read. Uh, we've been reading it for months now. It's a book called Deathless by Tommy Miller. It's going to challenge your theology. Uh, I, you know, I even kind of prayed about like, should I even throw that out there to people that have not gone through Emerge? Because there's such a transfiguration that happens in Emerge. There's such an undoing of that sin consciousness and that old identity when people go through Emerge, when they spend three months with me uh, going through that curriculum and really majoring on our union with God. But I, I felt just, I'm going to put it out there. And, you know, for those that have ears, let them hear. And, you know, if you come at me about that, well, okay, you can just pray for me. All right. You can just pray for me and take it up with God. But the book is called Deathless. It's by Donnie Miller. And I'm just going to read a little bit about what it says here. It says, most people think that legalism began with Moses and the law in the book of Exodus. But that's not true. Legalism was introduced in the garden. Sin and death began in the garden. Sin is a powerful word for us to understand. Under the Mosaic law, to sin was to transgress the line, meaning that if you sinned, it was because you broke one of the law's commandments. But that's not the kind of sin that overtook humanity and brought death in the garden. Sin uh, was the condition of humanity, not a, not a behavior. Okay, I'm going to just read down a little bit more. It says... And it, you know, kind of goes into this whole thing about what we've been talking about with the word harmatia and distorted form. But it says here, anything that lessens your inherent value as a human being in Christ is distorted. Okay, it says this is sin. Um, in Romans 5.12, it does a tremendous job of spelling that out. It says, just as through one man sin entered the world, that word is harmatia. Or better broken down is ha and morphe. It means to be without, distorted, and morphe means without form. In other words, it's just saying that the distorted form entered the world and death came through a distorted form. Now, I'm going to pick up next week on this concept, so I'm just going to lay it out there. But it says deprogramming our brains 
from Western legalism is challenging. Okay, so I'm going to pick that up next week because the thing, the problem is, you guys, we have been programmed with sin consciousness. We have been programmed with separation from God. We have been programmed with a distorted identity. Now, whether, you know, you grew up in church or not, I mean, for me, I grew up with a, a programming that was very focused on sin. We were constantly repenting. We were constantly doing an altar call. We were constantly rededicating our life to God. You know, you'd leave church and maybe make it a day or two before you were sinning again. Why? Because there was no transformation of my identity. It was simply a focus on my behavior. And that focus on our behavior, we have all been programmed in that. Whether you've been in church or whether you've just been in school, right? And you get an A when you do it, get it good and you pass and you get a fail, right? I mean, there are consequences to bad behavior. And I'm not saying that there shouldn't be consequences to bad behavior. I'm just saying that the, the root of that bad behavior is a distorted identity. And so if you want improved behavior, we need to deal with the root and not the fruit. It's not about getting the behavior right. It's about getting the identity right. It's about understanding who you are in Christ. And, you know, I also really want to just encourage you to not tune me out. I know I feel like I harp on our identity in Christ constantly. And I think sometimes people think, oh, I can just move beyond that. Oh, I've got that in Christ thing, Shalise. Oh, I've got that, you know, I'm a new creation in Christ. I can say the scriptures, the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in me. I can say Christ in me, the hope of glory. Like I know these scriptures, but the truth is, just because you know the scriptures doesn't mean that subconsciously you have reprogrammed your mind that the Holy Spirit has actually, that that new identity has become your self-image. That it is, how do, how do you know if it's become your self-image? Well, because you're doing the same works that Jesus did in greater works. Because there's no unbelief. Because there's no doubt. You're not struggling against the, those things that are not in an agreement. To see, there's an agreement internally. We struggle with worthiness. We struggle with, you know, believing God for all kinds of things. We struggle with manifestation. We struggle with all kinds of things. And all of those struggles come out of a wrong belief. And all of that wrong belief comes out of a distorted identity, comes out of the programming that we've had in the world. And it comes out of are a, a, a place where we have become sin conscious, not on purpose. It's not like any of us did it on purpose. I mean, we just were born into this, right? We were born into this. That's why I just believe the way that Jesus, Jesus's judgment is the only judgments that that's just, I mean, in one sense, in a certain sense, we are innocent because of our inability to choose that we are, we are, we are grow we've grown up in this fallen system, in this fallen mindset that we did not even choose. Adam chose, Adam chose for us. And so this world is lying in darkness. It's, it's lying in this distortion, this deception that we are not the mirror image of God. So I could just go on and on about it. It's why we do multiple series. It's why we have multiple episodes in these series. And so, but I guess I'm just saying that to just don't, don't just, you know, think, oh, well, this is just, you know, milk. Yeah, it is milk. Righteousness is milk. But the truth is until we've gotten to a place where we are no longer uh, sin conscious, then we need some more righteousness. We need to continually, we need to hear the gospel every single day because we are living in a world that is steeped in separation, that is steeped in sin consciousness, that is steeped in performance, that is steeped in uh, merit-based everything. 
And it is a, it is counterculture. It is counterculture to disassociate from, you know, earning a living, from earning your healing, from earning in uh, your, your, you know, self-acceptance, from earning your acceptance from others. I mean, this is a, uh, a sickness, you guys. This is like a, a virus that has infected our minds. And we need to, we need to wake up and we, we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I mean, the Holy Spirit is the only one that can lead us into truth. The Holy Spirit is the one that is the spirit of revelation and wisdom and the knowledge of God. Like we have to have the Holy Spirit to actually awaken and you're here, I believe, by divine appointment because the Holy Spirit wants you to hear this. The Holy Spirit wants you to get a revelation that you are actually the mirror image of God. And that when you get that, guess what? All the things that you've been struggling with, the sins, the sins, the transactional sins just fall away because you're no longer living under that system. You're no longer living any and under any performance. You're living out of a new creation identity where everything has just been given to you as a gift. So, Anyway, that's it for today, you guys. I encourage you to do your own study. Listen to it again if you need to, need to. And really grasp that when I say we're moving beyond sin consciousness, we're moving beyond a distorted form. So God bless you and have a great and supernatural week. We'll talk, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Shalise's podcast. This recording is, in part, made possible by our listeners. To partner with us, visit shalise.com where you can donate and help us spread the good news of our unshakable union with Christ around the globe. You can also find a link there to download Shalise's book, The Path, for free. And if you're ready to discover the call of God on your life and the purpose he created you for, then visit us at Shalise.com and watch Shalise's free training, where you'll hear five keys to hearing God about your life purpose and transitioning into it. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, don't forget, the world needs the Christ in you.